Welcome to Sober Beach. I'm Kimberly and I will be your host. And thank you for coming to my sobriety podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, and follow the podcast on Instagram at Sober Beach. There you can follow new posts announcing new episodes. You can DM me with any questions or concerns or if you're interested on being on the show. So sit back, relax, and let's get this party started. Welcome everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Today I have a very special guest, Marcus. He is a published author. He also has experience with addiction and ACA and Al-Anon, and I am happy to have him here and learn all about it. So Marcus, take it away. Okay. Uh, thanks, everybody. Thank you, Kimberly. I'm glad we connected uh, through uh, through social media. Um, my name is Marcus, and um, I live in San Francisco. My, I have a lot of experience with, I guess you would say, um, recovery of all kinds at this point in my life. I'm 42 years old now. Um, I'll be 43 in January, and I started my um, I started what I would consider my my road to recovery and uh, 2001, November 26, 2001. So I was 22 years old and I have, a, I have a history of, um, of a lot of stuff, <laughs> a lot of things. And I've tried a lot of 12 step programs, which have all helped in a lot of ways. Um, and I'll just kind of start from the beginning and just go. I mean, I was kind of, uh, um, I guess I'll do like, kind of like a, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now thing. I, they do that in Alcoholics Anonymous and that's a simple yeah. way to go. Um, I was started out, um, I'm from originally from Portland, Oregon, and uh, I, I was kind of born to like a, a single mom situation, for which was kind of hard, I think, for the first few years. I was too young to remember it, so I just remember, I was always surrounded by grandma and mom and the aunts and stuff and uh, the uncles, and uh, I was the first son, I was the first, I'm the oldest child, the oldest grandson, all that, the first nephew, all that kind of stuff. Um, it was a good time. The first from zero to five years old, it was just having a good time, barbecues and just whatever, no rules. You're a child. And um, I don't think I displayed any kind of irregular uh, mental activity or I wasn't a, a bad kid. I was a good kid. I was fun to be around, um, you know, kind of like a little miniature actor. I wanted to be Tom Cruise. My first job was I want to be Tom Cruise. That's what my, my mom asked me. What do you want to do for a living? I want to be Tom Cruise. <laughs> I, I want that job. And uh, so that was me. You know, I was just I was destined to be what I would become, I guess. Um, my mother would get remarried when I was just turning five years old. And uh, from the very beginning, we did not get along. And uh and I feel so bad. I feel bad for stepdads. <laughs> I feel bad. All the stepdads out there, I'm really sorry. And I was horrible to him. He didn't know how to deal with me. He, it's, you know, he was this math, math genius, um, just in the tech industry. And my mom came from more of working class, uh, no college education, just high school, have a child and go work. That was my mom's side of the family. And my stepdad came from Roman Catholic, private colleges, private schools, you know, just well-behaved, lots of rules. And um, I, that was foreign to me. I, I wasn't used to any of that. Um, so it was, 
it was uh, it was a struggle, and it just would get harder and harder as the years would go on. And I wouldn't I wouldn't start ha- I wouldn't start drinking or anything when I was a child. I, I didn't have my first drink at four years old or anything. Um, I had my first real like I got really drunk the first time when I was in the ninth grade, and it was the Friday that kicked off spring break when I was in the, when I was in the, when I was in junior high. And by that time, my, my mother and my stepfather and I were always fighting and it was, just, it was just, it was really hard and I didn't know what to do and nobody knew what to do. And I was a really bad student. I couldn't focus. I'm a smart person, but I just did not care about school. And I was just a social person. I was a social butterfly. I liked everybody. Everybody liked me. I was never picked on or bullied as a kid ever in my life. I'm really fortunate because I hear a lot of stories about people being bullied and, and I never had those, those problems. Um, so I got, I smoked some, I smoked some pot with some, some gangster kids that I'd never met before at this party. And I, and I was getting along with the gangsters. There were like cowboys at the party, like in the background, like, like in the backyard. The of naked cowboys? You were doing cowboy things, like roping each other. Everybody's drunk and everybody's getting along, you know? It was just, I was like, I want to do this forever. So I would be on that path and I would immediately, that week would go by and I would stay at that house and just party with strangers. I did not know who had, whose house it was the entire seven days. And I was just there. And then I would come back home and I told my mom and I had a talk that next Sunday, a week later, I was like, mom, I don't think I want to live with you guys anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to live with grandma. And my mom's (laughs) like, okay. Thinking it would maybe last the rest of the ninth grade year and maybe through the summer. And, uh, and I just never went back. I never went back. And uh, it's been, it's, it, it, wow, that's a whole other story that I'll just, I'll take pieces from, but I would live with my grandmother off and on, but I, I uh, immediately got really heavy into drinking and really heavy into smoking pot. And then there's all the, uh, the Burning Man festivals that I would go to. And I remember by the time I'm 16, I'm, I'm living on a, in a school bus with a bunch of people like there's like 11 of us on a school bus and we were just traveling around the country going to different festivals and I was gone for like two months and I got home and my grandmother didn't even ask where I was where I was and I was 16 and I was just gone and that's the kind of family I came from they were just I don't think they're capable of participating and I didn't learn how to participate in a family really and I was just kind of a tramp. I became like that movie Lady and the Tramp, that, that Disney cartoon. And I was just whistling away as a teenager. And it was fun, but I missed out on when people go to college at 19 or whatever. I didn't go back to college until I was 25. But all those normal things that I just missed out on. I did, I did drugs and I drank from the age of 15 to 22. And I didn't stop. I just did it. It was a seven-year period of time. And most of it was really fun. And a lot of times it was scary. I, I tried the whole, I dabbled in being a drug dealer and there were guns and I never liked guns or violence, but I would have to trade with really violent people and it would be scary. And I just remember like Latin gangsters with guns on meth. And was, that's scary, that's a oh scary God. mix. That's a scary mix when you've got guys with guns and they haven't slept in four days and they're like playing with their gun in the background and you're just trying to trade three pounds of marijuana for X amount of dollars and you just want to get out. So I, I would get in and out of that world really quick because I'm just not, I'm not built for jail. I'm not built for getting shot. I don't want any of that stuff. I've always just wanted to have a good time and just be free and just forget about that really strict 
household that I grew up in. I just, I've spent so many years just trying to forget the past. And um, I, having a career, any of that stuff, any of that stable stuff, I never thought about it, all the way through my early 30s. I was just, even, even sober, I just was trying to find new ways without drugs and alcohol to just escape. And that, and that would be a lot of my story of recovery. It's, I mean, I would say maybe a third of it is actually using drugs and alcohol, but most of it was for me in my experience was the mental and the spiritual side of what addiction and recovery and codependency and all that stuff is the people pleasing. Um, that got me, that had a hold of me more than anything. Like, you know, and I remember when I quit using, I quit using the day after Thanksgiving in 2001 and I quit cigarettes, I quit coffee, I quit alcohol. I was coming off of heroin. You know, I was, I quit like seven things in one day thinking I'd be fine. And um, I, I, I didn't, I did not know what was coming for me, what was ahead of me, the journey of recovery. I thought it was just quit doing what you're doing, like physically quit drinking and everything will go back to normal. What, but I've never, I don't know what normal and stability is. So I would have to create that but with no tools, because I just said, I don't need parents when you really need parents as a teenager. I was like, screw parents, screw rules, screw work. All the things that I think a human being needs, that was the hardest part. Like finding and keeping a job is way harder than quitting heroin for me. <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's just me. Like I had a really hard time um, living. I had a hard time the day-to-day, -day, the 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 getting up, taking a shower, going to wherever you had to go, whether it be school or work. I had a hard time just getting out of bed. And uh, and I was, and I'd find out later it would be de clinical depression and social generalized anxiety. And uh, doctors have terms for things. And uh, I would be given some, some, I would be given some names of the things that I could be. And um, so I would, I'm gonna go back and forth with things. This is gonna be like a Quentin Tarantino movie. So <laughs> I'm gonna go. So, okay, I like that. Yeah, so I, I, this is going to be completely linear. But uh, yeah, I would quit. I would call my mom, my grandmother. I would call my grandmother. The day I quit drinking, I'm like, Grandma, I'm quitting my job. I'm quitting everything. I'm quitting. I don't, I'm not talking to my friends anymore. I'm quitting my job because I worked at a restaurant and it was a really popular bar slash restaurant, really sexy place. And I had to get away from all of that because I wouldn't, I wouldn't stay quit if I didn't get away from the world I was in. So I quit everything and I'm like, grandma, I need to move back home for maybe a year. I just need some help. And, uh, and she's like, okay. And she didn't know what to expect. She didn't think I was serious about quitting anything, but she's like, you can't be drunk at home. And I'm like, no, I'm quitting everything. I need help. And so I went home and I kicked everything and my grandmother would play my nurse. Like she would, I was sweating a lot for a bit. I was just a chronic sweater and I felt like I had the flu for two weeks and my grandmother would make me bags and egg, ba uh, bags, eggs and bacon and orange juice for every meal <laughs> for like for like a month. And uh, she would iron my clothes and make my bed. She played my nurse for like a for like for probably longer than a month. So and, you didn't uh, go to like detox or no, yeah. nothing. I didn't. Well, because I grew up like my I grew up my father, my biological father, he's been sober since my third birthday. So he's been sober since January 2nd of 82. Uh -huh. And he, I grew up with him telling me, don't go to AA. It's just a bunch of people sleeping together. It's just, it's crazy at AA. Don't go to AA, don't do 12 step programs. And he, but he didn't tell me what I should do because I didn't, I only met the guy a handful of times. 
So he never told me, try this instead. He just told me what to stay away from. So I had no idea. And I looked at, I would ask how much, um, how much like rehab would cost. And I'm like, I don't have that. I don't have any money. I didn't have a job. So I was like, I got to kick this on my own is what I thought. And, uh, and that's what I did. It sucked. And it was really hard. It was super hard. And my parents weren't talking to me. And I just remember living with my grandmother and my grandfather was just a chain smoker. And then my uncle moved into the house and he's a chronic pot smoker and a drinker. So I've got a, I've got an alcoholic and a stoner in the house and my, and all these things I'm trying to quit are right in my face. And, uh, and I come from a very codependent family. So my, my grandmother wouldn't tell people to stop. It's like, don't do those things in the house as it's, it was crazy. So I'm really surprised that I've stayed sober because it was right there. There were bags of weed I would find. And I was like, here's your weed. <laughs> I'd be pissed <laughs> off if I couldn't smoke it. And, uh, and for four years, I wanted to drink every day. I wanted to drink, just wanted a little bit of weed or some ecstasy, just something to cut off, cut the edge. And I never did it. I never did it. And I, like birthday parties would happen and someone out of the bar would like, I would go to a bar on my, on my, 25th birthday I remember so I'd have a few years sober and a bunch of people were buying me drinks at the bar and I'm like I can't have any of this stuff and uh, yeah I stay I stayed sober and or stayed dry sober to me is more of a, a an attitude or I guess maybe more of a lifestyle a healthier lifestyle so I just hid from life for four years I hid I would go to the gym if I had a job I would work but I was destitute poor for like four years I couldn't make it happen and, and my whole family was like, when are you going to get your shit together? When are you going to get a life? And I was just like, ah, everybody's out to get me. And it was a hard time. And in 2006, I remember um, November, it was Halloween night. Um, no, uh, what is that? That's uh, Halloween. So that's October 31st. I had a, I had a mental breakdown, I guess you would call it. I, I snapped. I just, I was taking on college and I had a full-time job and I was working out and I had a girlfriend. There was a lot going on. I took on too much and I just snapped. And then within like a few months, I was given like this bipolar two disorder, like uh, dual diagnosis. So then for a couple of years, like a year and a half, I was just on these medication trials. So I'm on like lithium for a month and it didn't work. And I was on Xanax for two weeks and it didn't work. I was put on a handful of different kinds of meds throughout a year and a half to try to see what would work. And nothing worked and it would just make me worse and it was horrible. And for one month, I would all I would do is sleep. And then for one month, I couldn't sleep because different medications do different things to you. And um, finally, we found that I just needed a small dose of an antidepressant and, a, and a, a medication called Depakote, which is antipsychotic, just like these small doses to help my mind just slow down a little bit, just a little bit, because uh, it was racing constantly. I was living in constant panic. And um, I couldn't make anything, I couldn't make heads or tails of life because my I was always in this fight or flight mode for a few years. So we finally, my doctors and I finally got that under control. And uh, then I was start, I went to my first AA meeting in on May 30, May 31st or the end of May towards June of 2009. So I had this eight year period of just being this dry addict. I was just super dry and a people pleaser and really codependent. I was just a mess. I was an emotional mess. And um, I tried Al-Anon. I did the 12 steps of Al-Anon for a year. It took me a year. Um, I practiced AA from 2009. I still go to meetings. Um, 
I would try Food Addicts Anonymous because I could be, I found food and I would just start, I would eat, I would exercise and then I would eat like a fiend. And I would have these crazy, crazy meals at like one in the morning. I just became a nut with food. I and never so did I, in my early sobriety. Yeah, food, food, <laughs> definitely. And uh, I would try CODA, CODA penance and, um, and that was interesting. I did the 12 steps with CODA, a little too strict for me personally, but I, it really helped. Um, I would try Sex Addicts Anonymous because I thought I was a sex addict. And what I would learn over the years is that if it helps distract me, I'm addicted to it, right? It just, if it helps get me out of the way I think I feel or the person that I think I am, um, then I love it. And it's, it's an exercise or lasagna, like, right? Like Doritos, I love Doritos. And, uh, but I would find that I wasn't a sex addict and I'm not a food addict and I'm just, I'm none of those things really. I, I do believe I'm an alcoholic and an addict, but it's, um, I do believe I'm a really codependent personality type. I want to please people that all my careers have been in restaurants and hotels. So it's like, you're always, what can I get for you for eight hours a day? Like, what can I do for you? And whenever you get a complaint, you fall apart. Like whenever someone criticizes me, I like, I melt down and, um, eventually starting a year ago, like today's, today's the 12th. So last June 15th, I started working, um, ACA, Adult Children's of Alcoholics, um, Anonymous, and that blew my, my world wide open. That was that, I did the steps of that. And that was the hardest, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was working the 12 steps and reading that big red book. That was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Like for nine months, I was just, I feel like I was going through with a kind of withdrawal for like nine months. And um, I haven't talked to my mom in a year. It, which is really weird because I've always been kind of a mama's boy and calling her all the time and I'd be talking to her and she'd be ignoring me and I just and she would I don't, it was just it's a very toxic relationship and I need to figure out who I am and what I need to do and uh, to be healthier and I was telling her that and she's like oh you're always you're always in these little cults these 12-step program cults and it's like you're never going to be normal and I'm like I can't no 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 I can't I can't do this anymore. What we're doing, mom, we can't do this. this is I'm 42, you're 60 something. This has been our whole lives. This is going nowhere. It's not healthy. And I've been trying, I want to be healthy and I want us to have a healthy relationship. And, and I could tell it was going in one ear and out the other. Like, it's just what I'm talking about is beyond her right now. And um, we just can't talk right now. It's, it sucks. It's like, and it's weird to say one of the best decisions I've ever made is like, cutting ties with my family of origin because usually I hear stories at all these meetings like I've been sober for four years and my family loves me again and we're all everybody's great again and I'm like my family is still kind of nuts and I'm over here in a different state I'm in San Francisco they're up in Oregon I haven't seen them in two years um I don't know I'm that's a whole other struggle that's like is is it is it tied to to addiction I don't know it's like was I'm not sure if I'm born with this addict gene. I'm not sure if it's trauma. I'm still learning that stuff. And I've been sober and in recovery in one way or another for almost 20 years. And there's some stuff that I'm still figuring out, you know, that I'm just, I'm like, who is this healthy? Who is the healthy me? What does it mean to be healthy? I know it's not just hitting the gym. I know it's not just drinking wheatgrass. That doesn't make you a healthy person. Um, which I wish it was that easy, but it's also, what are the thoughts that are in my head? You know, are they healthy? What am I thinking? Um, why am I 
depressed. Why was I depressed last month? You know, if I'm this healthy guy and, and I do still deal with uh, struggle with depression on an occasion, it still comes in and goes this, this clinical depression and um, some anxiety on occasion and um, issues at work, but who doesn't have issues at work? Right. So I, I don't know. It's like, I'm still learning. Like me, I'm still learning what it all means. In some ways I'm very new to certain aspects of recovery and, and other ways I've got some time under my belt, you know? So there's, there's so much to recovery, you know, there's so much to it and everybody has their own journey. And I took up in my journey, I took up writing again. I, I used to write screenplays and I sold a couple screenplays and that was cool when I was in my early twenties. And, um, but I picked up writing and I wrote a book about my, my experience getting what it was like for me to be an addict and a teen homeless kid squatting in the city and, and then getting sober. And what was that like? So I wrote a book on that. And, and then I wrote a book on um, just dual diagnosis. There's people, there's a lot of people in these meetings, whether it be AA or NA or, and they've got more going on than just using whatever they're using. They've got, once they've been sober a few years, why are they still depressed or why, what, what's going on? And maybe the group they're in isn't answering that question. And so that's like, oh, outside help is good. You know, therapy might be good. Psychiatr psychiatrist might be good to have. You don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, for me, um, there's the whole thing of willingness in recovery. And it's like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be willing? And I think it's being willing to try anything um, or almost anything. There's certain things I won't try. But um I mean, like I've had electroshock therapy, like electroshock therapy and not, and that's, that's intense, <laughs> you know, Very intense. that's intense. And, and, and when I went, it was in LA and uh, I went to a place in Beverly Hills that was next to a high-end nail salon where they just give people electroshock therapy in a spa setting because <laughs> it was that popular in Los Angeles. And now it's like they've moved on to these ketamine treatments and now they're doing psilocybin treatments, which I've never been a part of. And I don't think I, I don't need it, but they're trying a lot of stuff for with people in recovery. And um, I don't know. I don't know what people need. I just know I, I don't even 100 percent know what I need. I just know I'm on the right track. Um, I feel a lot better all the time. But uh, still, like I said, there's I had a hard week last week. It was a hard emotional week, you know, and. And then yesterday I started feeling better and it was all surrounding work and like how my boss and I communicate and I run buildings, I run residential buildings in San Francisco in the Tenderloin district, which is the worst neighborhood in, in the city. It's, it's a ghetto. So it's very stressful and um, you know, break-ins, homeless people, drug dealing, prostitution, you see crazy stuff and I'm sober seeing this stuff when everybody else in the streets high, so they're not affected by it. And I'm like, it's, and that's another thing that I've been thinking about lately. It's like the jobs we take, the people we surround ourselves with, the neighborhoods we live in, those are all decisions we make. We take that job, we live in that neighborhood. And it's like, I'm living in a neighborhood full of drug addicts, on homeless people. Why am I here? Like, why, how did I end up here? You know, it's, it's like, it's not, it's not a mistake. It's not a mistake that I'm here. And it's, is it to help people? Is it for me to learn something? that's a whole other thing. I'm like, why am I living in the Tenderloin the past year and a half, you know, during the COVID shutdown, which there's homeless tents and camps everywhere. And I'm walking around it and daytime shooting up fentanyl's taking over the neighborhood. It's like fentanyl's everywhere. There's, I've always got a homeless guy in my basement that I have to kick out. It's just, it's, it's tumultuous, <laughs> you know, 
And it's like, why am I not living up a couple blocks in Russian Hill in a nicer neighborhood, not dealing with this stuff? So I obviously have something, something going on that I need to take care of. And I think that everything's involved, you know, the way we eat, the way we sleep, the activities we participate in, it's all, it's, we're all, it's all a puzzle. And um, like the kind of women I date, right? And it's, and right now I'm incapable of having a relationship at 42 years old. My biggest fear is being in a committed monogamous relationship. That's one of my biggest fears, getting married, having children, that <laughs> sounds horrifying. And, uh, and, I, and another thing is I have a phobia of driving. I've never had my, uh, my driver's license. And it's like, I have a weird, a couple of weird phobias. And most of it surrounds around, most of it is surrounding commitment, long-term commitments. And uh, as an addict, um, I still have an issue with things that take a long time to achieve. Like I like immediate gratification still and uh, patience and all that kind of stuff. Patience, I'm still learning patience. And I've been sober almost 20 years, which took patience, but it was a struggle the whole time. I've been kicking and screaming this whole 19, 19 years and seven months. I've been kicking and screaming. And uh, it's, it's, it's been a joy, but it's also been a nightmare at the same time. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> where I'm at now, I'll just end with this. Where, where I'm at now, <clears throat> I'm making more money than I've ever made. It's easy to do in San Francisco. It's just kind of, it's always a, it's a gold rush town. It's, I mean, I've got my own business, wallpaper installation. I don't know anything about wallpaper. I took over my uncle's wallpaper, wallpaper installation company and we're busier than ever. And I know nothing about wallpaper. I started last July. I've been with him for 11 months. It's just, so I'm doing that on the side. I'm about to publish my fourth book. I'm writing a fifth. Um, I, I run two buildings in, in this crazy neighborhood um, with constant issues, leaks and all this stuff. And always I'm, I, uh, what is it called? I volunteer a couple days a week where I walk this old guy's dog for him because I like dogs. And <laughs> so I walk, he lives two blocks from me. He can't get out of bed. So I walk his little chihuahua named Sweet Pea and uh, who's 13 years old and she's got a, a limp and she's, we're, I'm walking a dog with a limp and it's just busy, busy, busy. I have to be busy. If I like, if I'm not busy, these hands will get me into trouble. And, um, and I still have some things that I'm working on, some kind of addictive personality stuff. Like I, I don't, I don't date, but it's, but I compulsively go to places that are like kind of seedy and stuff like that. And that's a whole other thing I have to work on and I won't get into it. And, uh, but I'm not using, I'm not doing drugs. I'm not, I'm not drinking. Um, but that's just a part of all this. It's just, it's just one little thing. There's, you know, it's, it's, that's what I've learned. It's like, whatever I'm doing, whether it's whatever I'm doing, that's not healthy for me is just, it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's why am I doing it? The scary piece of it. That's what I have to look into. So um, yeah. So life overall is good. I mean, at times it's chaotic, but overall it's good. I'm achieving a lot. And I think that's human beings want to be successful. We want to achieve things, whether it be being a parent or a career. Um, I think we want to be successful. And I'm, 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 I'm kind of in that realm of feeling successful. It's just my mind at times is like, it, I doubt myself. There's that Nate, there's that record. That's like, you're, you're a piece of this. You're not a good person. And it's like, Jesus Christ. So that's where God comes in for me. I'm like, God, help me through this, whatever, this next 10 minutes. 
or calling somebody in one of my 12 step programs or readings out of some book, you know? So there's, there's stuff that I still do today that I've been doing for many, many years that still work. There's some things that I've scrapped that I don't need anymore. And there's some things that I'm now doing that's new. So it's always changing. So sometimes I feel old and sometimes I feel new again. It's a weird mix of what's like 501 genes of recovery versus what's the newest hot ticket to try when it comes to recovery. So I'm always open to try new stuff. Um, yeah, so life is pretty good. I don't know how I made it sound, but overall it's good. So I, I just stop with that and, and do what you wanna do. Sorry, there's some lag on my end, guys. I apologize. Um, well, I admire you. I'm going to tell you that right now. Everything you just said, like my mind is blown to just, you know, when you were talking about how, you know, you just gave up everything one day. You gave up like seven different things in one day. Like you, to even have that, like you touched on the, the willingness to quit seven things in one day like it was there you know you didn't bargain you didn't say I'll just quit this and I'll keep the cigarettes and you know I'll like there there you had willingness there and I admire that you know you you kicked it all to the curb and you know bless your grandmother for yeah <laughs> for <making> yeah <laughs> um I've only been sober for 15 months. Mm. Um, this is actually my second sobriety podcast. I used to have one with one of my friends. Um, so I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to have such an amazing guest like you on for the first episode. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also do 12 steps. I'm an mm. AA. And I went from, you know, I call it a cross addiction. I went from alcoholic to workaholic. Mm -hmm. Same here. <laughs> because, yeah, because, you know, right now I'm working three jobs. Yep. I and, hear you. Yeah. And I don't see, like, I'm trying to find the end to yeah. it. Yeah. And it's like I don't want to. So yeah. I'm working on that willingness. I'm in the same place. I get that. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it you know, you were talking about like keeping your hands busy. Like that's kind of like mm -hmm. what I'm doing right now. Like, well, if I'm at work and they have to drug test me, then I won't do anything. <laughs> yeah. 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 I get it. So, um, you know, I really enjoyed hearing your story and I look forward to reading your books. Yeah. Well. Yeah. They're all on Amazon. <laughs> I'll show you what they look like. Here's the first one. <laughs> Junk knowledge. I like Junk it. knowledge. And then this guy, the and I have my, my third one coming out is going to be tug of war. It'll be out in a couple of months, but that's just about like my experience in ACA, but during the lockdown in the tenderloin, it's just like the two, you know, like adults, children, and alcoholics in the beginning, I was, I was moving, I was going to move to Washington DC to take on a new hotel concierge job, but then the whole COVID thing exploded. And so I stayed here. And then everything changed, hotels, everything. As I lost my job, it was nuts. So it was like losing your job immediately, finding a new career path, and then joining ACA in a couple of months of each other. It was just such a strange year. So that'll be out. I can't wait to read that one. <laughs> yeah, I look, I look forward to reading your books. And then I have a quick question for you. And then sure. we can end it. I'll let you go. I won't torture you anymore. <laughs> um, 
when the pandemic hit, did you, you know, in sobriety, did you feel any stress on your sobriety because the pandemic, because mm. we were locked into our homes for months. Yeah. Like, well, I'm in New York, so we had a stay at home order. Right. And yeah. it, that's when I decided to get sober because I was like, okay. I, either, I got sober through Zoom. Yes. That was my first AA meeting was yeah. Zoom. I, um, I was like, I'm either going to get sober or I'm going to die. And I wasn't ready to die. Yeah. So when COVID hit and we had to be confined to our homes, did you feel any stress on your sobriety? Okay. So this is a good question. Um, yeah, this is a good question. Cause I've talked about this. I go to AA meetings every day. I mean, I, I started. So when COVID first hit, when the shutdown first hit in San Francisco, there were no meetings for a minute. There were no, there were really no meetings for it. There was just phone meetings and everybody was freaking out. Everybody was, I mean, people with 30 years were freaking out. People with 10 years were relapsing. I've never seen so many relapses in my life. It was crazy. Uh, me personally, um, to answer your question, when it came to the fear of maybe maybe relapsing or or the stability of my of my sobriety, that was that was stable. I, I, that wasn't a problem. What happened to me was I became very angry. I became, I've never experienced so much rage because like my career was taken away, which I thought I loved my career, but whatever. So, but what made me angry was I became afraid. I became very afraid. I, I like, I called my parents to like, can you guys loan me $600? I, I thought my whole life was over. I had money in the bank and I still thought I was very disappointed in myself and how I behaved, how I reacted. So I became very angry. And then I became very angry, and I've mentioned this in lots of meetings, I became very angry at AA, the 12-step program mm -hmm. recovery community as a whole, because everybody was relapsing, and my closest friends were freaking out, no one would go outside, they were staying in their homes, I had a friend that stayed in his apartment for six weeks, and this guy has 23 years sober, and I was so angry and disappointed at just society, and I became pissed off, and that's when I started jogging, because all I could do was just jog and I would jog miles and miles and miles and I was pissed. And I got into a couple of fights with homeless people, like really big bloody fights. And uh, or I've never been violent before. I've never, I've never hurt someone before. And I hurt a couple people physically, a couple of men. Um, and I was just like, what's happening to me? And I didn't go to meetings for like a month and a half, no meetings. I tried a couple phone meetings, but people were complaining and bitching on the phone and it really turned me off. So I'm like, well, no AA for me anymore. I thought I quit AA and I didn't go to an AA meeting for like, like an in-person, there was, there's a, we have Golden Gate Park in San Francisco and there's a big, um, there's bleachers, baseball bleachers and they opened up a meeting where a hundred people would show up every day. It was crazy. It was great. But everybody was really new and it was just like it was it was like a circus and I was pissed off and I hated that meeting and I refused to go so I was an angry depressed man for about two and a half months but I was never worried about drinking or anything I just I was pissed off and I would carry that anger with me for probably nine months I was an angry angry guy and I I I quit on all my friends I quit I would try going to meetings at my I go to the place called the dry dock and I would go and I would get up and leave pissed off. I became this angry guy and, and I slowly sorted it out. 
And like when I found ACA, I sorted it out. So I'm not that angry guy anymore. Um, but that's how I reacted. I was pissed. I was angry at everybody that was sober. I was, and it's like, dude, we're all scared. I, for, I forgot I lost touch of what humans are and what we can, we're, we, when we don't know something, human beings get scared and we, we need each other. We had nowhere to go. We were told to stay home. You know, it's like, don't, we weren't, in a sense, the media was telling us not to trust each other or ourselves is kind of how I took it. So I had to one, quit watching the news. I stopped watching the news. And then I slowly started introducing AA back into my life again. And it took about two months of going to meetings every day again for me to just unwind. I had to unwind all that ball of stress. So that was my reaction to all of that was I was pissed, but I just, I'm good now for the most part, but I never, I was never worried about drinking. And to me, it's just, it's like why it's, it's like battery acid or I associate alcohol with just really bad stuff. So I'm not tempted by, I'm not tempted by it. So I'm really lucky there, but I was, but being that angry, you might as well be drunk. You know what I mean? It's like when you're a, I was a dry drunk for about nine months. I'd never been that pissed off in my life but, <laughs> you know, ever, ever in my life. I don't think. So that's how I reacted. And uh, I think we all reacted in a similar way. And some of us acted very differently. I don't know. Cause I have, I have friends still that have 20 years sober that are still afraid to come outside. They're still afraid to come outside. Really? And really, I mean, th that shutdown made a lot, a lot of people a little loony. It affected people really deeply. And some of my friends have become, they're not well right now. I have a handful of friends that are still very sick and very scared even though they're sober. So it's, it's still all up in the air, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I feel better COVID wise. Yeah. I feel better now that I'm vaccinated. Yeah, me too. You're vaccinated as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know that there's a lot of controversy over it, but um, yeah. I was like, I put out my arm. I was like, yeah. go for it. <laughs> yeah, it was more, I didn't really do it so much for me. I just did it because I knew I just did it for my community. It makes a lot of people feel better. Like a lot of people like feel better knowing that I'm vaccinated. So, I mean, I got COVID in January of 2020. I got really sick and um, it was horrible. It was horrible. I, and I was before you were getting diagnosed with it. Nobody knew what it, I mean, nobody really knew what it was. So I got it because I worked at a hotel and I worked at a hotel in Chinatown in San Francisco. And that hotel brings in a lot of people from Southeast Asia that stay there. And they, they go in to see their family and visit. So the hotel I was at was a very famous hotel for people from all over Southeast Asia to come. And I'm not, I don't know how I got it or who gave it to me, but I got COVID and it, it sucked. It was horrible. It was wow. horrible. I have a friend <laughs> so who got COVID twice. My, who did? My friend got COVID twice. Yeah. My cousin yeah. got COVID twice. Isn't that <laughs> Two crazy? times. It's nuts. It's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all good <clears throat> yeah well i really enjoyed this conversation marcus and i'm yeah, so Kimberly. happy um that you were able to come on the show and thank you for being patient with me i know i was a little oh, no it's it's totally uh, no need it was great i'm this is great these podcasts what you're doing these are great I've, I've tried a few of these and they're all so great you know it's it's good to have this yeah there can never be there there will never be enough sober podcasts no, no, not at all. Yeah, not at all. I, I so like um, 
I secretary every Saturday um, at my where I go the dry dock. It's a it's in person slash Zoom meeting hybrid, and it's like having your own podcast. It's pretty awesome. It's, I love it because I'll have like fifty people on Zoom and then like ten people in the room, and you're just kind of DJing between the two. I've been doing that for a couple of weeks. It's really fun, so it helps a lot of people. So cool. Nice. Well, Marcus, it was a pleasure meeting you. Thank you, Kimberly. I loved every, I loved everything about this and yeah, I too. can't wait for our listeners to hear this and awesome. I hope that you have a great night you and too. guys like I said in the beginning remember to hit subscribe leave a review on Apple Podcasts and stay strong and stay sober my beach goers